Well, good evening. Merry Christmas. It's uh, awesome to see all of you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, to add my welcome uh, to this as uh, just, yeah, it's great, great to see you. There's some folks here that are not normally here that I want to acknowledge and, and rejoice in. And that is some kids. We've got some kids with us. Uh, let's give it up for the kids tonight. So a lot of these kids are typically in kids ministry. Here you came to, you know, big church or mom and dad's class or whatever you, uh, whatever you call it. But we're glad that you're here. And you are kids, you're going to need to help out uh, if you're here with your mom or dad or with your grandparents because we're going to do some Christmas trivia. How well do you know the original Christmas story? Do you know it as well as you think? Some of you have been around church a while. Let's see. Let's see how you do here. All right. Here's question number one. Ready? Uh, what does the Bible say that the innkeeper said to Mary and Joseph? Was it A, there is no room in the inn? Was it B, I have a stable you can use? C, come back later and I should have some vacancies? Or D, none of the above? All right, class, let's go. Come on. We're taking the quiz. Okay, we think A down here. Correct answer, D, none of the above. The Bible does not mention an innkeeper. Uh, in fact, probably the inn was probably more like a guest house, uh, probably even of a relative or somebody. But yeah, no innkeeper. The innkeeper didn't say squat because there wasn't one. All right. Number two, uh, O for one is what I meant. Now, number two, according to the Bible, how did Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem? Was it A, camel, B, donkey? C, they walked. D, Joseph walked. Mary rode a donkey. E, electric scooter. <laughs> or F, who knows? Man, we're getting a lot of confident D, confident D. The correct answer is F. Who knows? The Bible doesn't say. Right, all the pictures you've seen, right? This is why you think it's D. All the pictures you see, you know, have, you know, you know, Joseph walking, Mary on the donkey, but in fact, the Bible doesn't say how they got there. So yeah, who knows? All right. Number three, how many angels spoke to the shepherds? Luke chapter two, verse 10. How many angels spoke to the shepherds? Was it A, one, B, three, C, multitude, or D, none of the above? Yeah, y'all are not as confident. Homie's confident over here, but correct answer is A, one. Only one spoke to the shepherds, and then the multitude of the heavenly host showed up. <laughs> Suckers. All right, number four. What did the angels say or sing? Was it A, glory to God in the highest? B, alleluia. C, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. No, okay. D, joy to the world, the Lord has come, or E, glory to the newborn king. All right, guys, we just sang about this. Hark the herald, angels sing. A, glory to God in the highest is the correct answer. So we didn't, you didn't actually get it. Number A, number A, glory to God in the highest. That's the correct answer. All right, two more. Number five, what is a heavenly host? Is it A, the angel at the gate of heaven? B, the angel who serves refreshments in heaven? <laughs> C, a huge angel choir? D, an angel army? Or E, none of the above? Yeah, 
Correct answer is D, an angel army. The word host in Greek means an army. And so it's a multitude of a heavenly host, multitude of a heavenly army. So I think actually, by the way, it's pretty cool that these you know, angel armies show up and they want to praise God, like kind of this combination of toughness and a tender heart toward the Lord. That's pretty sweet. All right, last question. Uh, number six, the wise men brought frankincense and myrrh. What is myrrh? Is it A, Middle Eastern money? B, a drink? C, an easily shaped metal? D, a spice used for burying people? Or E, none of the above? You guys did pretty good on these last two. All right, D, a spice used for burying people is the correct answer. And in fact, when Jesus was buried after his crucifixion, the scriptures say that they anointed him with about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. And so this gift of myrrh was actually this gift to indicate the kind of death by which Jesus would die. And so, uh, yeah, how'd you do, by the way? Not great, not great, right? So for those of you who are new to this, like you're not really a church person, and you think, man, I feel so insecure. All these people know anything, know everything. No, they don't. They don't know nothing. So you're in good company. Um, and here's what I want to say is it, it is not crucial that you know all the facts about Christmas. It's not crucial that you know all the numbers. It's not crucial that you can quote every little piece. That's not crucial. Here's what's crucial, that you know why. Christmas matters. Here's what, here's what matters. Why Christmas is important. What Christmas is doing. That's what's important. The why of Christmas. That's what's, that's what's essential. Now, there's a word that's used repeatedly in the scriptures. Uh, it's a word that maybe will sound familiar to, to some of you. The, the Greek word in the New Testament is the word apocalypto. Apocalypto. Sound familiar? Sounds like a word maybe you've heard. Apocalypse. And when you hear the word apocalypse, you think of like the end of the world, right? Someone in a sandwich board sign, you know, yelling at you with a megaphone at a football game or something, right? Like apocalypse, the end is near. But actually the word apocalypto is a word that means to reveal, to disclose, to bring to light, to open the veil, to open into view, right? The, the book of Revelation is also called the apocalypse of John. It's the revealing of something. And here's what I want to tell you tonight is that Christmas is an apocalypto. Christmas is an apocalypse. Christmas is a revealing. It's a disclosing. It's an opening up. It's a bringing to light. God has some things tonight that he wants to bring to light, God has some things through Christmas about himself that he wants us to see, that he's trying to reveal, that he's trying to disclose. He wants to be known. And here's the big idea tonight is that Christmas is a revelation that God isn't just on our side, but also at our side. That's the revelation of Christmas. That's the apocalypto of Christmas. He's not just on our side. That's awesome. He's also at our side. So if you have your Bible, you can open it again to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't, that's fine. We'll put it up on the screen. Matthew chapter 1, uh, this is describing everything leading up to the birth of Jesus. This describes the why of Christmas. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that just simply means engaged. Joseph and Mary were engaged. They were not yet married. Uh, they, they, they were betrothed to one another. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. Rut-row. Right, if you're dating somebody and uh, she ends up pregnant with not your child, 
you have some questions, right? So uh, Joseph says, Mary, we need to talk. And she says, uh, Joseph, don't worry. Uh, This is from the Holy Spirit. And I just want to tell you that if you're engaged to someone who's pregnant with not your child, them telling you it's from the Holy Spirit probably won't make you feel a great deal better. It will make you think, wow, now I'm dealing with lots of issues related to this person. Um, And so that unsettles him. And so it says her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, right? He he doesn't want to expose her. He doesn't want to uh, ridicule her. He doesn't want to cancel her. He doesn't want to, you know, make her reputation drag through the mud. He resolves to divorce her quietly. This word divorce is just simply, even though they aren't married, it's the idea of, of ending this relationship. That's his intention. And so something has to happen to intervene. And so what happens is this angel appears. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Let's circle that again. Do not fear. You know, if there's any message that maybe we need to hear in these early 2020s, it might be these three words, do not fear. I mean, this is all scary stuff. We're facing scary stuff. Do not fear, he says, for that which is conceived is from the Holy Spirit. Turns out, (laughs) Joseph, she was right. This is actually from him. And the angel has more to say. The angel says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, this is kind of amazing. I've got four kids. I've got Abby, Caitlin, Mary, and Hank. They have a lot of things in common. One of the things that's in common is that I picked all their names. You know, with my wife, we talked about it together, but we got to decide the name. Joseph didn't get to decide. The angel just said, hey, here's his name. You don't get to pick. Is it Junior or? No, it's just going to be Jesus. So that's his name. His name is Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This word Jesus, this name Jesus is a name that means God saves. Yeshua. It's related to the Old Testament name Joshua. God saves You shall call his name Jesus for his save his people from their sins. First thing that Christmas reveals is Christmas reveals that God is on our side. Now this word sins is a word we don't really want to think about very much. It's a word we might even resist. Maybe it's a word we don't understand, right? You hear the word sins, you think, well, I don't know. I don't know if I've sinned. I mean, I, I'm not perfect, you know, I struggle with stuff and I've made mistakes and I've made blunders and, um, you know, I'm broken, but I don't know, I'm sinful. And we just sort of resist this word sin. The Bible describes sin in a number of different ways. One way the Bible describes sin is that sin is breaking the rules, right? God says, don't do this. And we do it. That's sin. God says, hey, you need to do this. We don't do it. That's sin. Right, so, so part of sin is like just breaking God's rules. Another description of sin is described as an exchange. It's the idea that when we take created things, things that God made, and we treat them as ultimate things, we worship them, we serve them, we live for them. Whenever we make that kind of exchange where we live for the created stuff instead of the creator, we're getting things messed up. That's what the Bible calls sin. And you may resist that. You go, oh, I don't know. I don't even know if there's a God. Okay, well, fine. Even if there's no God, here's what I want to tell you. You don't even live up to your own moral standard. You say nobody should ever do this. You do it. Everyone should always do that. But you don't always do it. Or you don't even live up to your own standard, let alone God's perfect standard. So, so we have this problem called sin. And if there is a God, and if God is holy and good and just, and like 
and he's morally pure, then whenever we are cruel to people, when we're unloving, when we're selfish, when we're harsh, when we're abusive, when we're greedy, when we hurt others, when we do that way, a good, holy, pure God would have to have a problem with that, right? And so there is this storm of judgment that is coming against us because of our sin. Now, we don't want to think about this. We want to ignore this. We want to pretend it's not there, but it's coming. This fall, I got to coach my eight-year-old Mary's flag football team. It was a blast. All girls flag football team. I mean, so much fun. And there was one day uh, where we're out there at practice and it's a lovely day and we're there, we're practicing, we're doing stuff. It's kind of early in the season. We had a lot to work on <laughs> and uh, we're out there. And in the distance, we see this, uh, this big brown storm coming, right? It's what Arizonans call a haboob a word you never even heard until you came to Arizona, right? It's basically like a mission impossible dust storm that's coming at you. And so it's way out there and we see it coming and it's like the sky's getting dark and stuff like that. And we're kind of looking and going like, well, we're okay. We, we got more time. We got some time. And uh, then it gets a little closer. It's getting a little closer. Start asking the parents, hey, uh, you guys cool? Like, should we, should we break? Should we stop? And they're like, no, we're good. It gets a little closer. Yeah, how's this looking? Yeah, yeah, we're good. Keep going. Next thing you know, it's run as fast as you can. Get to the car, right? And we're, you know, getting all our stuff and getting in the car. We get in the car, shut the doors, and it looks like we have landed on Mars. I mean, there is just dirt everywhere. We get out our cameras so that we can send it to our family in Ohio. Like, will you believe this insane place we live? This is crazy. You know, it's just like, and here's the thing. We saw it coming. It's like, what is wrong with us, right? Like, how, how foolish. You saw it coming. There it is. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. It's getting, I mean, the, the storm of God's judgment that's coming against our sin. You see it. It's coming. Don't ignore it. And here's the good news tonight of Christmas. Here's the revelation of Christmas is that Jesus came to save his people from their sins, to save them from this storm of God's judgment that's coming. Now, here's what a lot of people think. A lot of the people think that what Jesus came to do was to sort of teach people to just be nicer. Like as if Jesus' plan to save people from their sins was to just tell them, stop it. You know, didn't, that's, that's not it. A lot of times people think that Christianity, you know, this is mostly just like, hey, sin less, be better, you know, find the inner nice person in you and be them. And I just want to tell you, that is not the message of Christianity. The, the reality of Christianity is, is that Jesus saves us, not by giving us advice, but by intervening on our behalf. You, you could say that our sin is like this endless mountain of unpaid parking tickets. I uh, accumulated one such mountain when I was in college. And uh, my wife, uh, at the time we were dating, and she had my car and ended up getting towed because of all my unpaid parking tickets, right? Um, so imagine we've got this mountain of parking tickets. What a lot of people think Christianity is about is, is trying to give you parking lessons, like, here's how to park better so you don't get tickets. 
And here's what I want to tell you. The message of Christianity is not, here's parking lessons. It's Jesus paid your fine. Jesus paid the unsurmountable fine. Jesus did this. How does he do it? How does he save his people from their sins? He does it by going to the cross. He does it by absorbing the storm of God's judgment against the sins of everyone who would ever put their hope in him. In fact, on the cross, do you know what happens as Jesus is dying on the cross? Do you know what happens in the sky? It turns dark. And the earth shakes. And there's a storm of judgment against Jesus. <laughs> and all of this is supposed to reveal to us that God is on our side. How does it show that God's on our side? It's because he steps in the way. He steps in the middle. He intervenes. And he saves his people from their sins. And here's what it says in Romans chapter eight. The apostle Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, how would you possibly know that God is for you? Here's what he says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you wanna know that God's on your side? Here's how you know. Jesus died on the cross to save his people from their sins. God is on our side if we'll trust him by faith. But the second thing that Christmas reveals is that God is at our side. Look at the rest of what it says. It says that this whole naming situation, verse 22, uh, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name, there it is again, Emmanuel, which means God with us. They shall call his name Emmanuel, you go, wait, wait, wait. I thought they called his name Jesus. They did call his name Jesus. Well, what about Emmanuel? Which is it? Right, this is like later tonight when they say, hey, would you like cheesecake or apple pie tonight? And you say, yes, please. I would like both. Thank you very much. And so is he Jesus? God saves his people from his sins? Yes. Is he Emmanuel, God with us? Yes. This is the revelation. He's not just on your side, he's at your side. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, there's times in life we wish we could be alone. We're surrounded by people we'd like to get, you know, away from them. Uh, maybe you've had this experience at some Christmas parties lately. I saw this, uh, I saw this meme recently about uh, Christmas parties and just parties in general. Um, here's a, what I do at parties. Talk, eat, think about if it's okay to leave, right? That's what a lot of uh, people, especially more introverted folks, like to do at parties. And so if you would like to get out of a, if you, like, you want to get away from people, like, you know, you can. But, but here's, here's what I've learned is that there's something that's even worse than being stuck around people when you want to be alone. And that's being alone when you need people. Those of you uh, who are kids, you know the experience of picking up lunch at your school maybe and trying to find a place to sit. A lot of us can recall those moments in junior high where you're standing there with the tray and you're looking around the table and it's like, does anybody want me? Because here, here's the reality. The, the, the pain doesn't come from being alone. The pain comes from feeling Unwanted. Right, this, is, this is why a lot of you had a traumatic childhood. 
was because implicitly or explicitly you got the message that you weren't wanted. No kid should have to get that message, but you got it and you heard it and you've been trying ever since to show yourself and to show others that you're worthy of being wanted. This is when a marriage gets really dicey is when someone doesn't feel wanted anymore. This is the hardest part in a lot of relationships is when you go, I'm alone and I'm unwanted. But here's what this passage tells us. This passage is God saying to to you and to me, I want you. I want you. I want to be with you. This is not just about God saying, hey, you have this legal problem, all these unpaid parking tickets, this storm of judgment. Let me handle that for you. But mostly I still don't like you. I'm just taking care of your mess. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is, yeah, I'm taking care of all that because I want to be with you. And it's your sin, it's your rebellion, it's your disinterest in me that is actually keeping you from being with me. And and God knows, the psalm says, that in God's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so God says, I want you to be with me. So he's gonna deal with our sin problem, not just so we can like go to heaven, that's great, but so that we can be with him. Now think for a moment what it, what it took for Jesus to be with us, right? Because we believe that Jesus is eternally God, which means that the infinite God in Jesus became bound by space and time. God, who it says in Psalm 121, does not slumber nor sleep, all of a sudden in Jesus becomes tired and weak. God, who had eternally been this community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, on the cross, as Jesus experiences the storm, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's stripped and alone. And yet that's what he wants. That's what he's willing to do because he wants to be with us. Some of you know that um, one of the hardest things for our family this year has been uh, that my dad in late spring was diagnosed with tongue cancer. And... Um, it's like, it was way in the back of his tongue, like almost basically in his throat. So they couldn't do just a simple surgery to remove it. He had to go through a whole uh, sequence, a whole round of chemo and radiation. And um, I do want to tell you, we got news this week that as of Friday, he is cancer free. And we're thanking the Lord for that. Uh, so many of you have prayed for him and our family is just really, really grateful for that. Um, but there was a moment in July when he was really going through it, right? It was back half of the treatment and things were tough. And um, I went to Colorado to be with him uh, for that week. And when I got there, it was like, whoa, he's lost a lot more weight than I even realized. Went with him to the doctor appointment Monday. He'd lost seven pounds the week before because basically the radiation just is torching your mouth and you're like, you, you can't eat anything. He's coughing all the time. 
you know, it's just really like getting down applesauce was tough kind of thing. So they're like, hey, you got to eat more. You got to eat more. So I go to Costco and I get every mushy thing I can find. I'm like, dad, we're going to do this. And that day he probably eats like 200 calories. So we go back to the doctor and they're like, hey, you're going to need to do this feeding tube. Well, it turns out like everyone that has this kind of cancer gets this feeding tube. So I don't know why they didn't just put it in at the beginning, but uh, they didn't. And you hear feeding tube and you think probably what I did, which is like down the throat. And it's actually relatively a simple thing where they actually just put a thing into your stomach, this tube, and they give you these little protein shakes and you just plunge them in. And so he was kind of feeding himself through this, you know, plunging feeding tube mechanism is uh, how he was able to sustain and eventually put on uh, some more weight as, as the treatment went on. But, but while I was there, they were like, okay, we got to do this. It was now Thursday. We got to put in this tube. And so in order to have the procedure, he couldn't eat the whole night before, which wasn't, he really hadn't been eating. I mean, he hasn't really eaten much. And then he goes in, gets the procedure and uh, it takes a while to get in there. They ha- get it done. And then it's like, well, somebody still needs to train him on how to do this. So he's just, he's gone like days without eating. And we get to the house that night. He says, hey, Luke, um, in the fridge, before you got here, I, uh, I went to the store and I got a ribeye steak for you. And I want you to grill it tonight. I was like, dad, come on, like, you're just going to sit here and watch me eat a steak? And he said, yeah. So I grilled that steak. And I sat there. And I saw someone who was enduring all kinds of pain. Who was just going, I want to be with you. You're my son. I want, yeah, I, I'd love to eat this steak with you. And I can't eat it right now, but I want you to eat it. And I just sat there and I was like, this is, this is the gospel. This is the heart of God. This is, this is the good news. This is the revelation. And maybe, maybe you don't have a dad that would ever do something like that. And that's, that's fine. I, my point's not even to highlight my dad as much as I'm thankful for him. But my point is to say, that's a picture of what your heavenly father wants to invite you into. He's going, hey, I, I'll do any. I just want to be with you. And I want you to have the best. And the best is being with me. So the question tonight is, will you receive it? Will you embrace it? And you go, how do I embrace this? It's by believing. It's by faith. It's by trusting. You don't have to have every answer figured out. You don't have to have every, every problem solved. But here's what faith is. I like this description by Tony Evans. He says, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. You don't have all the answers? Me neither. Uh, there's things that are hard for you to accept? Yeah, me too. But faith is acting like God's telling the truth. And here's what I, I just want to tell you. This is the truth. This is the apocalypto. This is the revelation. This is what God's kind of inviting you in on. He's saying, I want to be on your side. I want to be at your side. I want to be with you. I want to be sustaining you. I want to be giving you the rivers of joy that come from my presence forever. You want in? I want in. Let's pray. Jesus, Emmanuel, we thank you tonight.
for being our savior, for being our father, for being our friend. Thank you that it, you were willing to endure the suffering and the loss and the pain so that we could feast at your table. And so God, we prayed now that we, you would give us faith that we could take you at your word and act like what you say is true. And God, I pray that uh, as we do everything we do with Christmas and we make all the memories and we have all the fun, God, I pray that in the middle of all of it, that we would just have such deep confidence that you're for us and that you're with us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.